So in turn in your Bibles now to Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 46. And let's read verses 46 to 52. Mark 10, 46 to 52. Now when they came to Jericho, as he went out of Jericho, with the disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. And then Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. We just read the story of a blind beggar being healed by Jesus. There are parallel accounts found in Matthew chapter 20 and in Luke chapter 18. Our focal point is going to be on Mark chapter 10. And I mention the parallel accounts because that raises a question, how many blind men were there? Matthew mentions there being two. Luke only mentions one. And Mark only mentions one and identifies him by name, Bartimaeus. And so how many were there? Well, these must be the same account. These are not contradictory accounts. It's not that there was an occasion where Jesus saw two blind men and then there was an occasion where he saw one. But these must be the same account and thus there must be two men. So why doesn't Luke and Matthew mention the other? Well, it may be, though we don't know for sure, that Bartimaeus may have been more well-known than the other. And thus he overshadowed him. And so, while Matthew mentions there were two, the others only mentioned the most known and most noted one of the beggars, Bartimaeus. But looking at the different accounts raises another question. Their, Their accounts differ as to when this took place. Was it on the coming into Jericho or was it the going out of Jericho? Matthew says that as they departed from Jericho, I get the impression as he's leaving Jericho. But I go to Luke and Luke says when he came near Jericho, it seemed to be when he's coming into Jericho. And then I get even more confused when I come to Mark when he came in and went out of Jericho. Which was it? Mark seems to mention both and and the others mention the other two sides of that. Linkolinsky perhaps captured the thought when he goes to Luke's account to settle the question. And he moves even to the next chapter, chapter 19, and here's what Linsky says. He said, Jesus passed through Jericho, Luke chapter 19 and 1. And although it was late in the day, no one invited him to spend the night with him. On the other side of the town, Zacchaeus awaits Jesus. Who calls him down from the tree, who retraces his steps and goes back into Jericho and spends the night at the publican's home. It was on this return that the blind men were healed. That makes sense now. Jesus had come to Jericho, he's making his way out of Jericho, and he runs into Zacchaeus and then makes his way back into Jericho. So it was both on the way out and on the way back in that they were healed. 
But then there's another question to be settled. How did the blind man know it was Jesus that was coming? He's blind after all. And the text says he was sitting by the road and as Jesus comes by, he hollers out to him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. How did he know it was Jesus? Luke's account says the noise of the multitude led the beggars to raise the question, who is it that's coming? And they identified for these blind men that it was Jesus. And as he gets near, then he cries out with an earnest cry, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And with that in mind, I want us to talk about the earnest cry of Bartimaeus. The earnest cry of Bartimaeus. You think about this beggar, this blind beggar, sitting on the side of the road, who's both blind and he's begging. He's poor and he's blind. And he's sitting on the side of the road and it's identified to him, Jesus of Nazareth is coming through. And so he cries out in an earnest cry, Jesus of Nazareth, or Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still. Now you think about that for a moment of causing the Son of God to stand still. You saw the governor walking down the street and there's a great crowd and a great throng and you holler out to him and the governor stops and turns around and looks at you and gives you attention what power you may think you have that I've uh, made the governor stand still. And yet this was the Son of God. He called out to him and he stood still and called for him to come. I want to focus on this with this in mind, how to break out of a rut. Here is an example of a man who was in a rut. And being in this rut, he found himself coming out of that rut. And perhaps you find yourself in a very similar one. What about Bartimaeus? What rut was he in? Well, he was blind. And he was poor. He was a beggar. Was any of that of his own making? Could be being a beggar could have been of his own making. I don't know. Blindness could have been of his own making. I don't know. The text doesn't tell me why he was blind. Doesn't tell me why he was a beggar or why he was in poverty. I don't know. Could have been of his own making. Could have been of someone else's making. Maybe his goods were stolen. Maybe someone else had caused his blindness. Whatever the case is, he's in a rut. And he wants out of that rut. Particularly one of those he does. I will know he wants out of both of them because he's a beggar, meaning he wants out of the rut of being in poverty, and he cries for Jesus to give him sight. He wants out of that rut as well. Perhaps you're in either one of those ruts, but on the other side, it may be that you are in the rut of sin. But you need to come out of the rut of sin like he's wanting out of his blindness and out of his poverty. It may be that you're in the rut of fear, that fear has got a grip on you. And we're living in a time when fear is getting a grip on many of us who are the children of God that we're gripped with fear of what's going on for the future. Maybe it's the pandemic, whatever it may be, we're gripped by fear. And you're in a rut of fear that you want to get out of. Maybe it's a marriage struggle that's the rut that you're in, that you're struggling with in your marriage, that your marriage is up and down, that you have good days and bad days, good years and bad years, and you're in a rut, and you like for that to come out of that and have a greater marriage. Or maybe you're in the rut of a bad relationship. I'm not talking about a relationship of romance, but maybe it's a relationship with, with someone in your family. Maybe it's a relationship with a friend or a brother or sister in the Lord that's beginning to go south and you feel like you're in a rut and you want out of that and you want to improve that relationship. Maybe you're in a rut of discouragement. 
You're discouraged by all of those around you. Or maybe you're discouraged about things about yourself. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's your work. You're, you're discouraged. Maybe you are in a rut of looking at the things that are lacking in your life. You, you take an assessment of your own life and you say, you know what, there's a great deal in my spirituality that's missing and lacking and I want out of that rut. Maybe you're in a rut of weakness. Do you recognize here is a moment of weakness or here is an element of weakness and, and you feel weak on this particular point, strong in other areas, but right here you're weak and you want out of that rut. So let's talk about the earnest cry of Bartimaeus. How to break out of a rut. How do you do it? You do it just like he did. Here's the first thing. First of all, assume responsibility. First of all, assume responsibility like Bartimaeus did. I want you to notice that Bartimaeus took upon himself to get help from the Lord. Look at verse 47. As he heard the throng coming by, he asked who it was, and they told him it was Jesus. And as Jesus gets near, he says, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. He took it on himself to get out of the rut. He didn't wait for someone else to act for him. He didn't sit back and then as Jesus passed by and went on into the city, said, why didn't somebody call out to Jesus for it? Why didn't Jesus do something? Why didn't you do something for me? He took responsibility. He didn't blame others for his lack of access to Jesus. Oh, Jesus could do something for me. Maybe he could heal me. If someone would just get Jesus to come. Bartimaeus took responsibility. He didn't sit in a pool of self-pity about being blind and being poor. But he was a man who took action for himself. <clears throat> I want to suggest to you that you need to take responsibility for your own sins and your own mistakes. If you're in a rut of mistakes and you're in a rut of sin, maybe some of what you are experiencing, you may have brought on yourself. <clears throat> and you may be facing difficulties that you're in a rut... You need to take responsibility for your own sin and your own mistakes. Don't be like Adam and Eve who shifted responsibility. Do you remember when God came to Adam and began to question Adam about his sin? Then he said, it's that woman you gave me. She gave me to eat. It's not me. I don't take responsibility. So he goes to Eve and asks her and she says, it's that serpent that beguiled me. It's not me. You must take responsibility for yourself. Ezekiel chapter 18 talks about the soul that sins, it shall die. What does that mean? You bear responsibility for yourself. You don't bear the iniquity of your father. You don't bear the iniquity of your son. The soul that sins, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, the text says. No, the father bear the iniquity of the son. So each bears responsibility for their own self. Paul would argue in Romans 12, 14 and in verse 12 that each one will give an account of himself to God. And so when it comes to your sin and your own mistakes, you'll give an account for yourself. I won't give an account for you and you won't give an account for me. But furthermore, you must take responsibility for your own conformity to the Word. <clears throat> you must take your responsibility for your own conformity to the Word. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, Acts chapter 2 and in verse 40, <clears throat> the text says, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. 
In other words, you have the responsibility to take it upon yourself. Here's a preaching of, of to 3,000 people. And this group over here doesn't take the responsibility for these people obeying and conforming to the will, but you save yourself from this untoward generation. I want to suggest to you that the treasurer, the Ethiopian eunuch, took responsibility to act. He didn't wait for someone to invite him to do that. Or someone to tell him, you should have already done that. He was the one who said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? I want to conform to the word and I want to do it now, he said. And I want to suggest to you that you take responsibility for your own conformity rather than <clears throat> reason within yourself. You know what? If the situation was just different, I think I can conform to the word you see, my situation is so bad, I, I have a hard time conforming to the Word right now, but if the situation was different, you're not taking responsibility if that's the way you reason. Or perhaps you reason this way, what can I do? You see, I'm in a bad marriage, but what can I do? You see, I'm in sin, but what can I do? I was raised in a family that was in sin, and so what, what, what can I do? How, how can I get out of this rut? Where do I bear any responsibility? Blind Bartimaeus could have said, I'm a blind beggar sitting on the side of the road and I don't see anybody. What can I do? What can I do? He assumes some responsibility. Don't point your finger at others as the cause for your failure. That I, I would have been a better parent had it not been for you. I would have been a better husband if it wasn't for him or for her. Or a better wife if it wasn't for him or for her. I'd have been a better Christian if it wasn't for the way other people were living. Assume responsibility for yourself. Here's the second thing. Let's break out of the rut. Let's talk about the earnest cried Bartimaeus. How in the world are you ever going to break out of your rut? And secondly, may I suggest, believe you can change. Look at verse 51 with me, if you will. Believe you can change. Though Bartimaeus was blind, he believed that Jesus could cause him to see. Look at verse 51. What do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus said, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. I believe I can change. I want to suggest to you that in contrast, some feel powerless and they think they're stuck. They wish they could do better. And they talk about how they would like to do better. I would like to serve the Lord better. But what you see is, I am a victim of circumstance. They play the victim card. They keep it close by and they keep it handy. So they can whip out that victim card and play that. You see, the reason I'm not living like I should, I'm not as faithful as I should, I don't attend like I should, I'm a victim of circumstance. I'm a victim of circumstance. But furthermore, I want to suggest to you that you have the power to change. You can overcome sin. The Corinthians did. Do you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 when he begins to list a whole number of sins? Homosexuality, fornication and adultery and idolatry. And he says, and such were some of you, but you were washed and sanctified and justified in the name of the Spirit and by the, by, in, the, in the name of the Lord and by the Spirit of our God. You were changed. You can change, but you have the power to change. You can overcome sin because the Corinthians overcame sin. You can make a drastic change in your life. Paul did. 
Saul of Tarsus. You remember he was the man who was the, the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was persecuting Christians. Voicing his opinions that some should be put to death. And he made a drastic change. It became a proclaimer of the very thing he was trying to kill. You can overcome being raised in a state of sin. Don't play the victim card and say, you know what, I was raised by parents who didn't have any use for God. I was raised by those who didn't have an understanding of the Bible. I was raised by parents who were confusing me about religion. Do you realize Abraham was raised by an idolater? Tira was an idolater. There is no greater example of faith than you find in Abraham. If Abraham could overcome being raised in a state of sin, so could you overcome whatever state that you may find yourself in. Here's what I'm learning from that you can change. You want to get out of your rut? It may be the rut of discouragement. It may be the rut of sin. It may be the rut of a problem in marriage. It may be that rut of fear. Whatever rut you're in, you can change. You take responsibility for yourself. Overcoming. Coming out of that rut like blind Bartimaeus. The earnest cried, Bartimaeus. What do you do? You assume responsibility? Believe you can change. Here's the third thing. Focus on your real need. Go back to verse 51. You remember he cried out at first, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And his second cry was, have mercy on me. Then they said, Jesus is calling for you. And he come running to Jesus. And the text says, when he got there, what is it you want me to do for you? Here was his request, verse 51. Are you back there with me? Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. He's focusing on his real need. Bartimaeus knew the misery of blindness and poverty. As a beggar, people could give him money. And that's what he's doing. He's sitting on the side of the road as a beggar. And people are helping with his poverty. And he's getting some money. But none of those could give him sight. Not a single one of them could give him sight. They could give him money. Give him more money. Give him lots of money perhaps. But his real need was gaining his sight. And notice what he doesn't ask Jesus. He doesn't say, Jesus, I'm a beggar and I need money. Would you give me money? There were people who did that to Jesus. Remember the man who said, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me? He didn't do that. He didn't go to Jesus and said, I want money. I'm a beggar. I'm poor. He's getting some help along the way. His real need is I need to see. I want to suggest to you that your real need is something you need to focus on as well. Your real need may be forgiveness of sin. That may be your real need and your crying need this morning. You see, Bartimaeus had other needs too, but he had a real need that he focused upon. You may have many crying needs that are calling for your attention. You may have financial needs. You may have health needs. And all of that you're calling for your attention. And you're wondering how on earth can I take care of all the financial and see to all my health? But I want to tell you that without forgiveness, you'll be lost in the devil's hell. Look in John chapter 8 and verse 21, Jesus said that if you die in sin, where I go, you can't come. If you die in a state of sin, you can't go to heaven. That's all there is to it. 
Romans 6 and verse 23, the wages of sin is death. That's eternal death. Here's, here's the consequence and the wages that sin pays. It's separation from God for eternity. And so you're focused on your financial, that's true. That needs to be done. You're focused on your health. That needs to be done. If you die in a state of sin, you're going to lose your soul. You're crying need that you need to focus on maybe the forgiveness of sin. It may be the crying need of the day and the hour maybe to get your priorities straight. There are multiple things that call for your attention. And you're looking in this direction and trying to give a little attention here and then you look in another direction and you give some attention there and you give some attention over here and you're trying to get your priorities all straightened out and you may have them all skewed. Look with me to 1 Peter 3 and at verse 15. We need to set God as first and foremost in our lives. This is a unique phrase in this text. And the text says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Most of the time when the Bible talks about sanctification, it talks about God sanctifying us. What are we expecting God to do? He's going to set us apart. He's pure. But this is a passage. not talking about God sanctifying us. We're to take God and sanctify Him. We're not making God holy. We're not making Him pure. What we're doing is we're taking Him and setting Him apart as first and foremost in our lives. In other words, we're getting our priorities straight. I want to suggest to you that it's very easy to fool ourselves into thinking we have our priorities right. Look at Matthew chapter 19 beginning at verse 16. This is the story of the rich young ruler. Here is a man who come running to Jesus with eagerness. What good thing shall I do that I might inherit eternal life? Jesus said, keep the commandments. Well, I've done those. Which ones? He said, well, I've done all of those that you mentioned. In fact, I've done that from my youth up. What I want you to focus on is the fact that he seems to think he has his priorities straight. I'm interested in God. I'm interested in religion. I want to go to heaven. I've been keeping the commandments. I've been doing consistently what I've done since my youth. I've got my priorities straight. And he said, here's one more thing. Tell, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. And we find out that he did not have his priorities straight. Wouldn't it be sad in the day of judgment to find out when you thought I've done all these things from my youth up? To hear the words depart from me I never knew because we didn't have our priorities straight. That may be the crying need of the hour. It may be the crying need and your real need may be the raising of your children to fear God. Recognize that every parent has life pulling at you in all directions. You have your job pulling at you. You have bills to pay. That's pulling at you. You have friends that you want to associate with and that's pulling at you. You have demands of the family, your extended family, and other things that are calling for your attention. And you don't have enough time, you think, to go around to do everything, but you must train your children in the way of God whether you get anything else done or not. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6 beginning at verse 1. This is in the middle of Paul's larger section on the family and the responsibilities of the Christian in the family and the home relationship after saying, children, obey your parents and the Lord. Notice at verse 4, And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. That may be the crying need of the hour. When maybe you could make more money here, or maybe you could do something over here with some friends, it may be that you need to focus more attention just on your children and training them in the way of the Lord. We're losing our children to the world. The 
crying need of the hour may be salvaging your marriage. That may be your great need. Like Bartimaeus, I want more than anything else to be able to see. I need money, but I want to see. And your crying may be that you need to salvage your marriage. There may be other needs that demand your immediate attention. There's bills to pay your health issues that you've got to face. And here are things that are calling for your attention. And that all needs to be given some attention. But if your marriage is strained, that needs every bit of the attention you can give it. Are you going to lose your marriage? And that may mean that you lose your soul. Let's turn to Romans chapter 6, chapter 7 rather. Romans chapter 7 beginning at verse 2. I want to remind you that when you entered into the marriage relationship, you've made a covenant and a commitment to God. You not only made a commitment to that mate, but as a child of God, you made a commitment to God. There are three beings that are described in Romans chapter 7 beginning at verse 2. The woman which hath a husband is bound by the law, bound by the law, that's God's law, to her husband so long as he lives. That's enough to make our point. That is, you're bound by the law of God to your mate. The husband is bound by God to the wife, and the wife is bound by God to her husband. You made a commitment to God to keep this marriage together. Let's talk about the cry of blind Bartimaeus. How to get out of the rut. How do you do that? Assume responsibility for yourself like he did. Believe you can change like he thought. Focus on your real need like he did. But I want to suggest to you, fourth of all, stop worrying about what others say. Stop worrying about what everybody else is saying. Look with me at verse 48. You see, the blind beggar was told to quieten down. Go back to your text at verse 48. Then they warned him to be quiet. You see, he cried out, first of all, when he heard it was Jesus. And he cried out saying, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And quickly some in the crowd told him to be quiet. Shh, hush. They'd be quiet. You'll only be crying out to Jesus. But I want you to notice what he did. He ignored them. He didn't turn around and say, I'd like to cry out to Jesus. I wanted to call for him to come and help me. I wanted to call and see if he could heal me. I wanted to see if I could gain my sight. But I'm a victim of circumstance. They told me to be quiet and I can't say anything. He ignored him. Number one. Number two, I want you to notice that he's focusing on his need is why he does that. Because when he's called by Jesus, he said, Lord Jesus, give me my sight, he said. That's what makes him ignore what everybody else may be saying is I'm focused on my need. In fact, I want you to notice that he cried out even more. Go with me now to verse 40. 49, uh, verse, uh, verse 48. They warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more. Now get the picture. Here's this blind beggar sitting off on the side of the road, and he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Oh, you need to be quiet. Be quiet. Hush down. Pipe down. You don't need to be talking. He cries out even louder. Have mercy on me. And I want to suggest to you, if he had not, if he had listened to those that were around him, he would have never been healed. If he'd have bowed to the pressures of the world around him, said, they told me to be quiet and I'm going to be quiet. 
They told me to hush and I'm going to hush. I don't want to cause a scene. I don't want to be, be seen as an instigator of trouble. I'm not going to say or do anything. I'm going to just sit here as a beggar like I've always done. He would have never received his sight. How are you going to ever break out of your rut? Stop worrying about what others say. I want to tell you that others may be giving you the wrong advice. Others may be telling you that you're fine as you are. They may tell you when you violated the will of God, they may tell you, you know what, you're not really in sin. There's nothing wrong with what you're doing. You better check it by the book and see if they're right about that. You better check it by the book. They may be telling you, even if it is sin, so what? What's the big deal? You may tell someone, I, I can't participate in this because I believe that to be a sin. Well, so what? <laughs> I mean, it may be. Who cares? That may be their advice. They may be telling you that even if it is sin, that's automatically removed by the grace of God. We serve such a gracious God. You can go ahead and commit that sin. And God just take care of that. He knows your heart. They may be giving you the wrong advice. It may be some are, are giving you the wrong advice because you may be ridiculed for being so conscientious. When you really be known to your friends or to your neighbors or even fellow Christians, let me emphasize, even fellow Christians, about your conscience of what you are willing or not willing to do, you may be ridiculed for being so conscientious and they may be giving you the wrong advice. It may be some are giving you the wrong advice because they're telling you you're too strict with your children. You're not letting them go play. You're not letting them see things that other kids. You're not letting them participate in things and you're making them dress a certain... You're just you're confining your children too much and you're restricting them and that's going to be... You're not going to do them any good by doing that. You say, how do you know? I've been one of those strict parents. Some of you have been those strict parents and we've heard those kind of criticisms from fellow Christians. Some may be giving you bad advice. They may be telling you you just should leave your mate. Your, your marriage is in trouble. The marriage is on the rocks. And what you ought to do is just leave your mate. That You'd be better off. You, you get out of the turmoil. Go your separate way. God wants you to be happy after all. That's what you need to do. You may be told that the dysfunctional family is normal. Don't worry about that. I know it looks like your family's dysfunctional and, and things are, are just doesn't fit with the scriptures, but dysfunctional family is normal. Don't worry about it. You may be told, as some present have been told, that your faith should not get in the way of your job or your school or your fears. Let fear get a hold of you and let fear move you and let fear grip you and don't let faith interfere with that fear and don't let faith interfere with school and don't let your faith interfere with your job. You may have people tell you you don't need to attend all of the time. As you get older, you may have your children tell you you need to stay home from services. You don't need to go all the time. Daddy, you need to stay home. And because people don't still need to get out. And, and you need to stay home, Mama, because you don't need to get out and go to services. It's too dangerous. And it's, it's just too, you don't need to do that. You may have people giving you that advice. I hope I never live long enough for my children to tell me not to go to church. They may be giving you the wrong advice. 
But let's look at verse 46. Earnest cry Bartimaeus. How did he break out of the rut? I want to suggest to you that not only did he assume responsibility, he believed he could change. Focused on his real need, he stopped worrying about what others were saying. But look at verse 46. He stopped waiting for the ideal circumstance. You see, Bartimaeus was not in an ideal situation. Far from it, in fact. He was blind. He couldn't see who was coming or where they were. You see, if he could see, he could say, I see, I'm glad it looks like Jesus. And he's right here in front of me. But he's blind, he can't see. He's a beggar. Beggars were often ignored and brushed aside in disdain, which may be part of the indication of you need to be quiet. We don't need beggars hollering out at Jesus. And in addition to that, he was setting down. That's not a position. In fact, all three accounts mentioned he was sitting down. That's not a position to be seen or gain attention. I've tried to meet some celebrities or politicians that I wanted to meet, and you don't sit down. You stand up and you try to reach over the crowd. You want to be seen to get their attention. He's sitting on the road. And I want to suggest to you that you may be planning to get out of your rut, but you're waiting for the ideal circumstance. You're waiting on others to do what they should do. You see, I'm going to get things right in my life just as soon as some other people start doing what they need to be doing. It may be that I'm going to turn to God just as soon as I get my life on the right track. I don't know how many times I've been told that. That's like saying, you know what, I'm going to go to the doctor just as soon as I get better. Now make sense of that. I don't know how many times I've talked to someone who's not going to church, not serving. I'm going to go back to church. I'm going to turn to God just as soon as I get my life on the right track. I'm waiting for the ideal circumstance. I'm going to start attending church when things get better. I can't now though. I can't submit to the will of God. I can't do that now because you see my family life is not all that good. If, and when things get better in the family, there's, there's turmoil in the family, in the marriage and with the children and there's just so much chaos. I'm waiting for the ideal circumstance to get out of my rut. And I want to suggest to you that there have been many who faithfully served the Lord in situations that were far less than ideal. How so? Paul was in prison. Have you been in prison? The first imprisonment, and I think there's evidence of two, the first imprisonment, there was some liberty, I recognize, but he was still in prison nonetheless. The second imprisonment was a cold, dark dungeon of a prison. Paul still served God. Abraham was in a strange country. Have you been taken to a strange country and asked to live there and stay there and that's where you're going to spend the rest of your life? I haven't. You haven't either probably. Noah had only seven other righteous people around him. There's more than that in this auditorium. If we were to consider half of them weren't righteous, there's more than that. 
Noah lived in a world where there's only seven other righteous people around. You think of that. Daniel was in captivity, by the way. I want to suggest to you that if you're waiting for the ideal circumstance, it may never come. You may never get out of your rut. But let's go one more time. Here's the earnest cry of Bartimaeus. Sitting on the side of the road as a beggar and as a blind man, he said to Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's a man who took responsibility for himself. He believed he could change. He focused on his real need. He didn't worry about what others were saying. He didn't wait for the ideal circumstance. But he finally came to recognize, I've got to act now. I've got to act now. Look at verse 50. In fact, let's back up before we get to verse 50. You see, I read in Mark chapter 10 a picture two or three times in the, in the context that Bartimaeus felt it was now or it's never. He's sitting on the side of the road. No evidence that he was expecting Jesus to come by. But he asked, according to Luke's account, what's all the turmoil of all the noise? What's all that about? And he was told, it's Jesus of Nazareth who that is. And so he seizes the opportunity as Jesus gets near. He shouts out to him, have mercy on me. And they say, no, no, be quiet. It's now or never, so have mercy on me, he says again. But that's not all. I want you to notice that he may be thinking and apparently was thinking that I may never have such an opportunity again. So when he was told, he's calling for you, you need to go. Look at verse 50. Turn to verse 50 with me. Are you reading at verse 50 with me? Mark 10 and verse 50. And throwing aside his garment, he arose and came to Jesus. He threw his garment aside that he may run without interference. Have you thrown your garment aside? What is it that might impede your running to the Lord? What is it that may keep you from acting right now? What is it that may slow you down in getting to the Lord? You need to throw your garment aside and run to Jesus. That's what he did. He recognized, I'm going to act now or I may never act. I want you to notice that he acted in faith on what he knew about Jesus. It was because of his faith that he cried and he begged. It was because of his faith that he responded in joyous obedience to the divine call. When they said, he's calling for you, he throws the garment aside and runs to Jesus. It was because of his faith that he asked for his sight. There was no delay. There was no stalling. There is no indication that he said, how long are you going to be in Jericho? I might catch you on the way back. Where are you going to be when you get there? Let me think about this. And I'll come to Zacchaeus' house and, and we'll, we'll talk. Let me mull this over. Do I really want to make this commitment? And if I've only got one request, what is that? Do I really want my sight or is there something else I want? Maybe I'd rather have the money instead of the, the sight. There was no delay. There was no stalling. And I want to suggest that if you're ever going to get out of your rut, you must act now. It may be now or never. You may not have another opportunity. James chapter 4 says those who would go into a city and uh, continue their year and, and buy and sell and get gain. They say, we're going to go. We're going to stay there for a year. And we're going to buy and we're going to say, here's what we're going to do. So what's your life? It's a baby that appears for a little while. You don't know. You don't know that you've got another day. 
You may not have another opportunity to get out of your rut. The more and the longer you delay, the chances are increased that you may never act. Suppose that Jesus went down this road from Jericho and now going out of Jericho every day. Bartimaeus didn't ask today, but he could have, but he said, I'll, I'll do that tomorrow. The next day he said, well, I think I'll wait tomorrow, maybe the next day. He's, he's going to come back again. And then the next time he said, well, you know, I think I'll still wait another day. The chances are being increased. He'll never ask Jesus. Never will ask him. Now's the time to obey the gospel. Today, if you'll hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. Now's the time to be restored. Perhaps there's one present who needs to make correction in their life. Now's the time to be restored. Save your soul from death and hide a multitude of sin. Now's the time to fix your family life. Don't wait till tomorrow. If you're not the husband you ought to be, now's the time to fix that relationship. If you're not the wife you should be, now's the time to fix that relationship. If you're not the parent you should be, fix that relationship today. If you're not the child, you fix that today. Now's the time to correct what's lacking in your life. You say, I'm in a rut, there's things missing. Now's the time to fix it. Now's the time to repair that relationship. To go and see how things can be restrung and communication can start all over. Now's the time to start working on growing I'll say, you know what, maybe the first of the month I'm going to get started reading and studying my Bible and praying that I might grow up. Start that today. Blind Bartimaeus. What an earnest cry it was. The earnest cry of blind Bartimaeus. How to get out of a rut. How did he do it and how can you do it? Your rut's not the same as his, but I'll tell you what he did. He assumed responsibility. He believed that he could change. He focused on his real need. He didn't worry about what others were saying. He didn't wait for the ideal circumstance. And he finally said, I have to act and I'm going to act now. He threw his garment aside and he ran to Jesus. Would you throw your garment aside this morning? And would you run to Jesus in obedience? There may be one or more present who's not a Christian, who's not a child of God. Would you come believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Would you repent of your sins and acknowledge your faith? Be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins. There may be an erring child of God who needs to make correction. If you're subject in any way, would you come while together we stand and while we sing?